A reading from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced from old the things that are to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. For I have not told you from of old, and have I not declared it. You are my witnesses. Is there any God before me? There is no rock. I know not one. The word of the Lord. A reading from the letter of Romans. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who even us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. So the Romans passage talks a little bit about groaning, um, of creation and of us. And in some ways, that's going to be a little bit of a theme in what I'm going to share and what I hope we can reflect on together this morning. Um, But hopefully, um, just like the Romans passage, we will see that there is hope. We don't groan without hope. (laughs) So a few weeks ago, uh, some friends and I sat down to watch a four-part a documentary expose thing on a fundamentalist Christian group that had gone very bad. Uh, that might be seem like a little bit of a morbid thing to do, a morbid curiosity there. Some of us were just curious, and some of us, um, there was a little bit of weight to it because we had some sort of personal connection to the group that the series was on. So we, thankfully, we didn't just like watch them all straight through. We took the afternoon, we took our time, we, we paused after each episode to like decompress a little bit, process a little bit together. But by the end of it, we were all just exhausted. We had seen so much of the, 
the evil, the, the just awful things that um, had happened in this community and in people, in, two people impacted by that community. And we were just worn out by it. And the following week or so, I found myself reflecting on how we just, we all experience evil in some form in the world, whether it's um, like this situation, which was abusive, toxic leadership that just went wild, um, or other things um, that are uh, less dramatic than that, but maybe similarly painful, um, whether it's sicknesses or other just one-on-one relational harm or accidents that happen. We, we have all experienced some kind of, of evil or difficulty. And as I was reflecting on all of those things, I found myself asking the questions that it's very, very easy and, and normal to ask when we're, we're confronted with evil. Why did God allow these things to happen? Couldn't he have stopped that? Couldn't he just uh, remove those leaders or cure the sickness or stop the accident from happening or just, just pull out the evil? Didn't, didn't Jesus bring in the kingdom? What is it with all this evil that we're seeing? Now, in, in, when we're confronted with the evil and then we have to move forward with life, it's very easy to, to have like a few responses. A like, okay, I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to ever let that happen again. Or uh, just, that's life. Sort of throwing up our hands and saying, that's just the way it goes. We can't do anything about it. Just deal with it. That's the way life is. We do as best we can. Or denying it. Saying that, no, that didn't really happen. Or that's not evil. Or just turning away from it and denying that it even exists. So these are all sort of very normal responses to evil that we have and that I find in myself. But none of those are adequate. And I think we all kind of feel that to some extent or another. And the readings today are in some ways challenging, but I think they present a very different response to evil and bad things that happen in the world, but in a way that doesn't doesn't minimize, doesn't ignore, doesn't deny that these evil things are real and seem like they're here for a while longer. The the framing, the, the readings reframe this issue in light of God's care and providence and goodness and love for us and all of creation. So we're going to focus on the Matthew passage this morning. It's from Matthew 13 in the parables of the kingdom. Jesus, up to this point in Matthew, he's been proclaiming the kingdom. He's been teaching and healing people. And now people are being invited to respond. How are they going to respond to the inbreaking of the kingdom? And, and the first parable in the chapter is the parable of the sower, where the, there's, there's this seed thrown, this good seed that's thrown. And there's a lot of different responses to it in the ground, the different types of ground. Um, in this parable that we heard today, Jesus continues with the agricultural sort of metaphor, but shifts it a little bit. And rather than talking about the responses of individuals to whether or not they receive the kingdom and how that works— He's shifting to those who maybe have received the kingdom, but, and, and they're buying into Jesus and what he's doing and, and the life that he's bringing, the kingdom life. And then they look around and go, wait a second. There's all this evil. And what's a, how, there's way more than we would expect. So what, what do we do with this? So let's walk through this parable together. And, and I'm going to walk through using the interpretation that Jesus gives. Parables are a little bit tricky, but thankfully Jesus interpreted this one for us. Um, and we're going to walk through using that and, and explore the, the paradigm that Jesus is handing us in this parable. 
So it begins with a farmer who's sowing good seed in the field. And the farmer Jesus identifies as the son of man, which is a messianic title that eventually it'll become clear is referring to Jesus himself. And the good seed are the people of the kingdom. And the field is the whole world. So this is communicating that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. He's planning the good, the good seed are the people who are participating in the kingdom. And, and we're in the world. But then there's the evil one, the devil, who sows bad seed, people of the enemy. And as it will become clear a little bit later, the bad seed are, are everything that causes any sin, any brokenness. The, the, that's the bad seed, and anyone who does evil. And I know this one is a little bit tricky. Sometimes we like to think about evil just in terms of things that physically happen or things that we can sort of explain in a clear sort of way, but I do think it is important to note that there is an enemy of our souls. And we need to be wise about recognizing that, not, not in fear, because as it was very clear, Jesus is far more powerful than the enemy. But we would be foolish to not notice that that is a true thing about the way that we experience um, this world. And it's interesting that the enemy works under the cover of secrecy. In the parable, the enemy comes and doesn't just come at any old time, comes at night, under the cover of darkness, when, when no one is paying attention. The servants have to come to the, to the farmer and say, what happened? Because the enemy had worked in secret. So the seeds are sprouting, and the good and the bad, and the servants of the master, who, interestingly, Jesus doesn't give an interpretive uh, connection for, come to the master and say, didn't you sow good seeds? Where did all these weeds come from? I thought you planted good seed. Doesn't that sound a little bit reminiscent of how we, um, what we do when we are encountering evil? God, didn't you make this world good? Aren't you bringing the kingdom? Where did all this evil come from? This is evil that's pervasive all through the world. Everything that causes sin, all who do evil. And it's, it's legitimate to come to him like the servants come to the farmer in the parable and say, why? What happened here? And the master says, an enemy has done this. Now the master doesn't explain all the details or how exactly or why exactly. He just says, an enemy has done this. Notice the servant's response immediately to the master. When they say, okay, an enemy has done this. This isn't, this isn't the farmer. This is not the intention of the good farmer who has d- done good things. This isn't the intention of, of Jesus for there to be so much evil in the world. An enemy has done this. So the servant's response is, okay, great. Can we go pull that out? Can we go pull out the weeds? Can we just go handle this right now? Now, this, this makes agricultural sense. When there's weeds, they need to be pulled out so that there's a good crop. This demonstrates the eagerness of the servants to, to remove the weeds and get a good crop. It demonstrates, in some ways, it gives voice to our eagerness to say, okay, great, let's deal with it right now. Let's get rid of this evil. Sometimes we just want to jump at it and say, okay, let's fix it. But Jesus gives an unexpected response. And to get at it, I'm going to... Come back with me to uh, summer when I'm like 10 years old and our family has a garden. Now, 
this is my least favorite part about summers was having to do weeding. I didn't love working in the garden in general, and weeding was my least favorite part. I don't know how many of y'all have gardens. I've grown in my appreciation for them and for working in them, but when I was 10 years old, I had zero interest, none at all. And so I've been sent out to the garden to weed, and I go, and I'm mildly cranky about it, but I go, and I go out to the plot on the hill beside our house. Now, the thing is, I've been really good at avoiding working in the garden all summer, which is great, except now I don't know where anything is planted, and I'm like 10, so I don't know the difference between like a tomato plant and a weed, so this is a problem. And I don't like to ask for help, so I go and I'm like, hmm, okay, I hope this is a weed, and I, I, I reach out my hand to pull out what I hope to goodness is a weed. But one of my sisters comes up behind me, who's watching me to make sure I'm doing things correctly, and says, no, 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 don't pick that. That's, that's clearly a tomato plant, not a weed. What are you doing? And of course, I pull back really quickly, and she proceeds to explain where everything is planted. And in my mind, I'm thinking, see, this is why I shouldn't have to weed. I don't know what I'm doing. And clearly, she can do it better. So why am I here? Now, obviously. My, my motivation was not good. I was trying to avoid work. But my legitimate reason for um, not, being, not weeding is exactly the, the reason that the master gives the servants. You might uproot the wheat with the weeds. We might think it's a rather simple thing to see, identify, and remove evil. And we, we underestimate our um, capacity for, we overestimate our capacity for discernment. Although we can discern evil. Notice the servants are able to point and say, that's, 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 there's weeds here. But we also, um, we underestimate the collateral damage that can happen when we go and we try to eradicate evil in the way that we think in our timing. As much as we can discern evil, we, it's much harder to discern how to root out that evil without causing damage to those who should be protected and cared for. So when we're, when we're confronted with these evil things and we're struggling with what to do with them, I think it's important for us to remember, uh, in the parable, we're not the harvesters. Who are the harvesters in the parable? They're the angels, not us. Not, not the people of the kingdom, not the servants. They're the harvesters. And we're not the son of man. That means we don't get to choose the time or the manner, and we don't even get to be the ones who ultimately are responsible for the purging of evil from the world. We are, that doesn't mean we don't have any role to play in all of this. We are supposed to respond to evil. We are supposed to identify it, see that it's happening. And we're to respond uniquely as people of the kingdom. Augustine, when he's talking about the distinction between Christians and non-Christians in suffering, he says that when good and evil suffer alike, that doesn't mean there's no distinction between them simply because there's no distinction in what they suffer. Even though we're people of the kingdom, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from suffering, and it also doesn't mean that there's no difference between us and someone who isn't in the kingdom when we suffer. Even when the sufferings are alike, the sufferers remain unalike. We are supposed to experience evil and suffering 
distinctly as members of the kingdom. We are supposed to acknowledge evil. You know, the servants acknowledged the evil, and we're supposed to wrestle with it with God, before God and, and in community. The psalm presented, you know, the first verses of the psalm were, were begging God to bow down to me and hear me, for I'm poor and in misery. That sounds like there's some experience of suffering and of evil. And then there's this, this importance to responding to the kingdom and, and acknowledging the evil and wrestling with God about it. But we are supposed to respond with patience, like the end of the Romans passage. And it's, it's not harvest time yet. That means it's, it's not time yet for every evil thing to be purged. As much as we may long for that to be so, Romans made it very clear that the groaning, the longing for the redemption is, is sort of a feature of the Christian life. There's, there's, such a, there's such a great risk that we're going to get impatient and, and, and try to rip out the evil and inadvertently rip out some wheat with it and, and harm and kill those who are meant to be protected, that the Lord is protecting in the way that he's dealing with the evil that is. The Lord's patience allows for those who aren't in the kingdom to, become, to come into the kingdom. It's sort of breaking the metaphor to say like a bad plant becomes a good plant. But, but that's, that's part of what's going on here. There's patience in the Lord's judgment so that, so that more can come because he longs to, to redeem every single person. We're also to respond with hope. The Romans reading sort of just highlights this in a beautiful way. But in that very first verse, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. See, all of creation is groaning, like Romans said, and we ourselves are groaning for, for like it says, the, the children of the kingdom to be revealed. And we're waiting in hope because we know that it will happen and that our, even our very bodies will be redeemed. We know that the Lord is good and is just and will destroy every evil thing. And we, we, we can hope when we're, when we're faced with just just terrible things. We know that the Lord does not sit by and see that and just twiddle his thumbs or ignore it or anything like that. But he knows and he cares and he will, um, he will eradicate all the evil in the end. And, and while we're waiting in hope, we get to be witnesses to the sovereignty and the goodness of God in this in-between. We are, after all, we have the deposit of the Spirit in us. We are really members of the kingdom. We experience life in this world in a different way. And we know God in a deep way. We heard it in the, it was the last, the, the, a couple of verses after the psalm reading ended, but it said, I will thank you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will praise your name forevermore, for great is your mercy toward me. You have delivered my life from the nethermost pit. God has delivered us from, from evil, from sin, from dying. And we, we are able to be witnesses to that and to the redemption that is coming, that, you know, that is all over Romans. And we are able to be witnesses to that. There is no other rock, right? Despite, despite appearances, despite the, the prevalence and the weightiness and the, the awfulness of, of the evil and the suffering and the things that just don't make sense in the world, 
The Lord is in control. He does love us. He is working for the redemption of us and for all of creation. And we are witnesses of that. We are witnesses of his care and his control, not our own, but his. As much as we want completion and answers in this life, we have an even greater and more sure and more true hope. In the end, there's always going to be mysteries that, that we're, not, we're not going to be made clear until the end. But we can always, always be confident in the goodness of God. He does take evil things seriously. These, they will not go unpunished. We are loved by this good God who will, who will remove every evil thing, everything that causes stumbling, and will redeem all creation and even our bodies at the time when evil will be no more.